Let's open our Bibles to the book of um, Joel. I've entitled the morning's message, The Day of the Lord is Coming. And um, I actually take that from verse 1 where it says, For the day of the Lord is coming, in the middle of verse 1 of chapter 2. We just finished Hosea. And on Wednesday, this Wednesday evening, we will go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the three chapters that we have in Joel. But this morning, I would like to connect the dots, and and, uh, I know I've been very repetitive in saying this, that when we study the Old Testament and the prophets, um, we have it occurring almost in every Old Testament book that we've studied, that in the middle of something that's taking place in Joel's time, uh, we're going to find a blend in chapter 2 of current events in Joel's time of a locust that's going to destroy the land, take out everything that's alive and green, and in the next verse, jump and blend it into a future event that's in Revelation chapter 9. Now, one one of the reasons that I believe the Lord does this is when I read Revelation chapter 9, and I remember reading it the first time that I read (laughs) the book of Revelation, I had not a clue of what I just read. Having said that, I believed every word of it. It was just too far out, especially Revelation chapter 9. I thought, you got to be kidding me. There's going to be a shaft that's going to be opened, and and demons are going to come out of this and torment men for five months. Well... One of the reasons I think Joel blends this very, Joel chapter 2 is Revelation chapter 9. Joel chapter 2 is a prophecy about Revelation 9. So that when we get to the book of Revelation, we don't stumble. We don't think this is just too crazy. Because we have to ask the question, has this been talked about before? Has this ever happened before? Like Isaiah, talking to Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. For three and a half years, well, Revelation 11, it says the days of their prophecy was 1,260 days where it did not rain. Same guy, Elijah. So what the Old Testament does is it connects dots for us. It increases our faith. So when we get to these hard to wrap our head around scriptures in the book of Revelation, that we go, this is nothing new. You know, this is just the book of Joel. Again, stressing the necessity of teaching the whole Bible, all of it, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Otherwise, um, you're going to stumble when you get to Revelation 9, just saying this is just a little bit too far out there. Any person with common sense isn't going to buy it. No, true. But any person that knows the word of God accepts it completely and says, of course. Good place for an amen. So just a little bit of background this morning. Paul read for us verses 1 through 11. I'm going to come back to it and do the same thing before we go to um, Revelation 9 and connect the dots. But because it's our first Sunday in Joel, just a little bit of a background. Joel, his name, actually means Yahweh is God. The book is twofold. He is speaking of a real plague of locusts striking the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, again, we just finished Hosea, but this was Hosea speaking to the northern ten tribes that went into captivity to the Assyrians in 722. So now um, we're back with the southern kingdom, and we have a blend. We have a blend of current events that are happening of this judgment because they didn't learn the lesson from the ten northern tribes God allows this plague of locusts to come to the southern kingdom. Um, in a matter of hours, every living green thing is going to be stripped bare, gone. And um, now, as we get into the second chapter of Joel, it's going to give a blending of the plague of locusts together with the threat of the Assyrian army, and then look down the avenue of time into the future and the day of the Lord. Clearly, over and over again, twice, in verse 1 and in verse 
12, it says, For the day of the Lord is great. The day of the Lord is a reference to the great tribulation period. And um, we'll have more details described actually here in in uh, Joel 2 about these demon locusts than we actually have when it's explained to us in Revelation chapter 9. And believe me, when we say this is um, an over-the-top weird Bible study, it really is. And yet, and it's important for me to say this, what we're going to show you a little later on. Um, I was just surfing uh, the channels the other day, and I came across this movie channel with the sci-fi. And as I was looking at the pictures of each one of, uh, of these movies, the hideous creatures that they put on uh, these movies, I mean, the, the, they're just over-the-top hideous with the idea of breeding fear and terror. The idea of one of the points this morning is to give the believer a good, healthy, reverent fear of the Lord. But more importantly, this is really going to happen, gang. And we have people that we care about that you do not want them to go through this period of time. And Joel basically connects the dots between the Old Testament here and the New. Now, go back to Isaiah chapter 2, which my Bible just opened to. Um, in verses 1 through 4, it's the millennium. So we're past the great tribulation. And it, it talks here about their spears and prunes. Um, uh, they'll beat their swords and the plowshares in verse 4, and their spears and the pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Learn war anymore is a reference to the great tribulation. In verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty. Verse 19 says, But they shall go into the holes of the rocks, into the caves of the earth, for the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to to shake the earth mightily. These are scriptures about the great tribulation. Our study this morning is a slice of the pie. It happens at the fifth trumpet judgment. So what we just read is a general overall statement. But our study this morning, I would compare it to if you're studying the book of Judges. All of a sudden, then you have the book of Ruth. Well, what's the book of Ruth all about? It's a slice of the book of Judges, a life that happened during that 360-year time period. Well, the same here. What we're having is a seven-year period of time, and what Joel 2 is going to zero in on is just a slice of one of the judgments. And Joel's going to give us detail um, with that. So let's go back to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, therefore, is a detailed prophecy of the fifth trumpet judgment that is yet future in the book of Revelation. But before we go there, whenever we have a study like this, it, um, uh, it gives me an opportunity to expose false doctrine that's um, in the church today. So there actually is, and it's a loosely formed group, an organization called Joel's Army. So before we have this study, I want to explain for you who've maybe never heard of this, the different groups that are blended together with it, but um, Joel's Army is a part of the New Apostolic Reformation. Sometimes we refer to that as the N-A-R. Um, a domestic movement which asserts that God is restoring the lost offices of church government, namely the office of that of being a prophet or an apostle. Leading figures in a seemingly loosely organized movement claim that these prophets and apostles alone 
have the power and authority to exercise God's plan and purposes on earth. They believe they are laying the foundation for a global church governed by them. They place a greater emphasis on dreams, visions, extra-biblical revelation than they do the Bible, claiming that their revealed teaching and reported experience, e.g., like trips to heaven, face-to-face conversations with Jesus, visits by angels, cannot be proven by the old scriptures. Let me give you some facts, facts on Joel's army. They're also called, it's also called dominionism. Dominionism is the idea that these supergroup of prophets and apostles are going to be the ones that bring about um, Christianity to the world. Uh, they're also known as the third wave or the latter reign, kingdom now, Joel's army is one of the references, manifested sons of God, the charismatic renew, renewal, charismania. Its founder is C. Peter Wagner. He comes out of uh, Fuller. He's no longer here, and now he knows the truth about that. Uh, who claims that the church of the 21st century will be ruled by apostles and prophets. Wagner was anointed himself the NAR's residing apostle, in other words, the top dog in the movement. He's linked with the Kansas City prophets. Now, they came through here in the 90s. Uh, Bob Jones, Paul Kane, um, Mike Bickle, Todd Bentley, uh, even though Todd's not part of the Kansas City group, they pretty much died on, they just sort of fizzled out. John Wimber from the Vineyard joined them. IHOP, uh, coming out of Mike Bickle's church, is also a part of this. Um, They're linked with the Kansas City prophets who grandiose claims that a new breed of super prophet will bring to the arrival on planet Earth, who would change the world forever. Likewise, they tie into the word faith. We call it name it and claim it, or grab it and blab it. <laughs> in other words, there's power in your words. Be careful what you say, because what you say is what you, you get. And whenever I think of that verse, um, in the back of my head, I think of David when he's running from Saul. And he said, surely, this day Saul will kill me. And I think, David, that is a negative confession, and you just spoke it. Well, David didn't die that day. So much for um, the power of what you say is in your words. No, the power is in the book. We say stupid things all the time. And um, so uh, that's just nonsense. Um, uh, they're not governed by an official denomination. It is led by alleged uh, apostles and prophets. They're teachers that the the new apostolic and prophets are to be the government for the emerging new order church. They claim direct revelation from God, and many allege that Jesus and angels visit them in prison. Some of them declare that they have visited heaven many times, had conversations with Jesus, as well as the prophets and the apostles. The NAR, or the New Apostolic Reformation, its mission... Um, has has an extensive mission outreach throughout the globe that has caused the astonishing church growth that has happened in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Now, our group just got back from Haiti. We just heard them. And what they emphasized was the importance of this book as this as a final authority. But what's happening in some of these third world countries, what starts in America ends up in Africa and India. I've seen the fruit of that in India. I remember KP one time says, Dwight, I want you to come over just to speak on Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn was in Bangalore. Four million people show up. And then he said they take it and they teach people how to have holy laughter and getting slayed in the spirit, and it's affecting some of the churches that were part of gospel for Asia when they were on track. So what comes out of America is very influential. And um, they've been very effective. My friend Pat, who is just here from Cameroon, say 
this is some of the stuff they have to undo because of what's been done by these groups going over there. Um, they have little regard for the Bible. The experience-oriented theology is based in emotionalism and mysticism. My final quote is from uh, T.A. McMahon from the Brian Call. Uh, T.A. says, This is the emergent church adapting itself into the apostolic prophetic movement to create a new hybrid of long-awaited new breed of saints to fulfill the latter reign prophecy of Joel's army. But in reality is identified as a dynamic horde of locusts of Revelation 9. Let me sum it up. What T.A. just said is the biblical fact that we're going to be studying this morning. But the NRA and all these other groups associated with a supergroup that's called Joel's army. Joel's army is not demons coming out of hell, but actually supernatural prophets that are going to be influential in Christianizing the world. You got all that? At least part of it? <laughs> okay. With that as a background, um, look out for these guys. We're to um, expose false doctrine. We're to be contenders for the faith. And, and if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then you reject it. And if somebody tells you that their experience trumps the Word of God, we dealt with this in the early 80s with Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. They wanted to put signs and wonders over the Scriptures. And we all got a letter. I still got the letter from 1981 from Chuck. Said, And it was addressed to these guys that were doing that. It says, God bless you. You guys can do that, but you can't do it here. You need to associate yourself with people who are like-minded in that. It's not that we'll break fellowship with anything of you. We're just not going to allow it to be a part of Calvary Chapel. So we won't allow it to be a part of Calvary Chapel here either. Joel chapter 2 is a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in Revelation chapter 9. Now we can begin our Bible study. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Joel. And again, on Wednesday night, we'll go back and we'll go through all three chapters. Let's just look at verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Now, uh, when we come to Revelation, it talks about blowing a trumpet here. Uh, the final book in the Bible is Revelation, we find the blowing of trumpets again. Although there are some expositors that feel that this is in relation to the church, there is no blowing of the trumpets for the church. The sound of the trumpet at the time of the rapture, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, will be a shout of Christ himself. Now, I'm going to interject here, and you can be a Berean and check it out later. I believe that Revelation 4, where John, after the church age, it says, Meditanta, after these things. After what things? The church age. It says, after these things, John says, I heard a voice that said, come up here, like a trumpet. So if you look at that, that's what's in reference here. There's no trumpets past chapter 4. When we get to the seven trumpets, that has anything to do with the church. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and his voice will be like a trumpet. The seven trumpets of Revelation have nothing to do with the church. The church will have been completed and will have been taken out of this world the seven trumpets are identified with the nation Israel, just as there were seven trumpet calls in the wilderness march. This was a part of calling them and knowing what to do and when to do it. And it's identified with Israel and not the church. All right, verses 2 and 3. It'll be a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. All right, now remember I told you to be sensitive, we've been going over this a lot, that 
the Old Testament prophet switches gears by the Holy Spirit in the middle of a sentence. And we've been making that point over and over again. Here's an example of a locust that actually happened in Joel's time for judgment because they didn't learn the lesson from the ten northern tribes. Verse 4, verse uh, 2 here, a people come, great and strong, like the whom have never been seen, nor will they ever be seen after them. This is a reference to what we're going to be reading later on, even for many successive generations. Verse 2 here is Revelation 9. Verse 3 is back in local time with Joel. Why? Because the demons in Revelation 9 destroy no green thing, only men. They don't destroy them, they harm them. But in verse 3, it's clearly talking that these locusts, let's read it, a fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them is a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Now back to verse 4, we're jumping ahead again. And again, this is not unusual. The appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds so they run. With noise like chariots over mountains they leap. Like the noise of flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them, the people wither in pain. Now we're going to find out why they wither in pain in Revelation 9. All faces are drained by color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. Uh, They do not break rank. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column, and when they lunge between the weapons, they're not cut down. Now, what controls locusts? The wind. They come with the wind, and they go with the wind. Not these guys. They march in a rank, and they orderly. Um, they, when they're trying to um, uh, be taken out, they lunge between the weapons. They are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter the windows like thieves. Now, this is scary stuff. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, this is such a heavy Bible study. Can you give me anything to lighten it up at all? How many of you have seen the commercial on TV where the little girl is in bed and there's two boogeymen underneath the bed talking? Anybody see it besides me? Good. <laughs> well, they got horns. They look like boogeyman. Did you hear about the little boy who called 911 so the policeman could come over and check out the closet before he would get in bed? That really happened. Well, that's just being six years old, right? So anyway, this little girl's laying in bed, and these two boogeymen underneath the bed, and they're there talking about whatever. She says, I can hear you. And they keep talking, so she goes, Dad! <laughs> That's what little kids do. Mom, leave the light on. There's this natural fear that's there. But it's really nothing. There's nobody there. There's no boogeyman in the closet. Well, guess what? The boogeyman is really going to be in a closet. And these guys are more than boogeymen. And um, they're going to strike such torment in this five-month period of time, I believe with all my heart that the Lord put this in Joel so that we would not stumble when we get to Revelation chapter 9, which we just got done going through. They enter the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. Now, that's a description of them, but now we come to at the end of the matter where the Lord takes care of them, the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word, for the day of the Lord is great, very terrible. Who can endure it? Now, with that, let's, um, verse 11 here tells us what, what 
their outcome is. Now let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 9. And what we have beginning, let's go back to chapter 8. Chapter 8, there's, there's a break. You have the sealed judgments, and then you have chapter 7, which is a break before you get into the seven uh, sealed judgments, and otherwise called the seven trumpet judgments. And we find um, the first four judgments. Um, the first trumpet is in verse 6. Of chapter 8, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first sounded, and hail and fire followed mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The judgments increase exponentially throughout the rest of uh, this period of time. The second trumpet Then a second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Uh, The third trumpet judgment, then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. Uh, the name of the stars Wormwood, and a third of the water became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Fourth angel, and this is the end of chapter 8. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, a third of the stars, and a third of them were made dark. And a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Verse 13 is important. And I looked and I heard an angel through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels that are about to sound. So we have the fourth trumpet. Then we begin in chapter 9. This is the first woe. And uh, if you look at verse 12, so we're going to read the fifth trumpet all the way up to verse 11. Then it says in verse 12, one woe is past. Well, what is that telling us? That the first woe is this demonic horde that's going to be let out, that's going to be upon the earth. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after this. And um, in Revelation 9.1, let's pick it up. And um, I want to just read the first verse here and comment on it. <clears throat> so this is a fifth trumpet. Then the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, and to him. So all of a sudden, we have um, uh, not a star here, but a him. Was he was given a key to the bottomless pit? So here, notice the the proper meaning of the this bottomless pit. Well, what's a bottomless pit? Evidently, somewhere on this planet, there's a long shaft a pit or a well that leads to the abyss. There were one-third of all of the millions and billions of angels, one-third of them actually rebelled with Lucifer. And some were, as you know, as you study Jesus' ministry, he cast demons out of people. I mean, the disciples got all worked up because they came back from their first missionary journey. He said, Lord, we could even cast demons out of people. And he said, don't get so excited about that. Get more excited because your name is written in the book of life. That's a good place for an amen. In other words, what we do in ministry is important. But what we should be rejoicing on is we're going to heaven. If your name is put in the book of life, that's the bottom line. 
So the Lord was putting his, trying to teach them where to put their priorities. It's not the ministry, the work, no. It's the relationship, knowing him, that you can say, I know my Lord's voice. Because to some people who think they're Christians, he's going to say, I don't know who you, you are. I never knew you. There's no personal relationship with Jesus. But there is this place, and um, uh, the Lord, when he conquered the cross, descended, Ephesians 4 says, before he ascended, he descended, and he took claim to the keys of life and death. But this last three and a half year period of time, the Lord's taking his hands off, just like he did to a certain extent when uh, Satan wanted to go after Job. He allowed so much. This time, all hands are off, and he's giving uh, Lucifer, who I believe is the angel here because of verse 11, who is this fallen angel? Well, in 11, he's called Abaddon and Apollyon, and I'll get into that when we get to that verse. And evidently, there are angels incarcerated that are so ferocious that they're not allowed to be on this planet right now because of the damage that they could do. Uh, We read in the New Testament that there's powers and principalities, in other words, orders and ranks. Remember when we talked about this in Daniel, the prince of the Um, of Persia. In other words, this demonic being that was holding up this message to get to Daniel, which is the book of Daniel, and he couldn't do anything about it until Michael the archangel showed up, who was of higher authority and rank, and only then after three weeks could the message be delivered. So what we have here, I personally believe, and I won't be dogmatic about it, that this He has access to heaven. He's removed from heaven completely in chapter 12. But the book of Revelation clearly asks the question of Job. The Lord looks at Lucifer and says, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been walking to and fro over the whole earth. And he says, oh, have you noticed my servant Job? He's a godly man. Gets up every morning, does his devotion, prays for his praise for his kids. Ah, He does that because you've blessed him so much. Take all that stuff away. Then you'll see that what he'll do. Well, Job passed the test. What's your point, Dwight? Evidently, Lucifer comes and goes as he wants to. He did in Job. And evidently, here he comes down. But he's going to finally be kicked out in Revelation 12 when Michael and his angels fought against the devil and his angels. And Michael and his angels win that Star Wars, A-Wars, Angel Wars battle and are cast to the earth. And what does it say? Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because Satan has been cast down to you, knowing he has what? Just a little time left. All right, let's pick it up. And now from verses 2 to 10, we'll read their description And I actually went online, and I thought, I wonder if anybody ever tried to draw these guys or or put a video together. And once you know, I stumbled across a two-minute video. Uh, And I'm going to play it for you. But we're going to read this first. So verse 2. This angel opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the great pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and of them was given power as the scorpion of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass or the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads that were sealed back in Revelation 7. They were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. 
Now, I've never been struck by a scorpion, so I can't tell you what that feels like. I hear it's very painful. And in those days, men will seek death, and they won't be able to find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. In other words, they actually try to take themselves out, but their spirit won't leave the body. That's what's being said here. And the shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the face of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and their breastplate was like the breastplate of iron, and the sound of their wings like the sound of the chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and their stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. There's one other place where there's judgment on earth for five months. When you read about how long the waters were on the earth in Noah's days, it was 130, 150. When you do the math, it's five months. Same period of time. That's just for what it's worth. And they had power was to hurt men for five months. Now this interesting verse in verse 11. It says they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek his name is Apollyon. If you're taking notes this morning, Proverbs 30 verse 37 says, The locusts have no king. And I ask myself, why in the world would God ever want us to know that? The locusts don't have a king. Well, so that when you get to Revelation chapter 9, it says here, locusts have a king. has a name. And his name is Abaddon in the Greek and Apollyon. uh, Abaddon in Hebrew and in the Greek is Apollyon. This is one of many titles I made a list, I'm sure I left some out, but let me just go through it quickly. We're talking about Lucifer. In heaven, he was called Lucifer. He's called the devil, he's called the adversary, he's called the angel of light. He's called Belzebub, he's called Belai, he's called the crooked serpent. He's called the father of lies in John 8. He's called the god of this world in 2 Corinthians. A great fiery red dragon in Revelation 12. The ruler of this world, John 12, a serpent, the tempter, the thief, the father of lies, murderer, and the prince and the power of the air. But here, they've given him the name um, uh, Abaddon and Apollyon. Now, as we get to verse 12, We read here, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. What is the fifth trumpet and what is Daniel 9? Gang, to me, it is the weirdest chapter in the Bible. And I have to admit, I might be stumbled if I hadn't read Joel and Joel connected the dots for us. Um, the first woe introduces to us, I think, the last half of the Great Tribulation period. It is a duration of five months. Apparently, the last two woes will cover the remainder of that period. The warning here indicates that worse things are to follow, and the next trumpet reveals that, that, that this was not just an idle warning. It gets worse from here. We have the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments. I like to call the trumpet judgments the third judgments because only a third of the earth is affected. But when you get to the bowl judgments, entirety, until the complete destruction of planet earth when you get to the final and um, uh, bowl judgment. Let's go back to the book of Joel. And believe it or not, we're almost done. I said almost. Joel chapter 2. 
in reading this this morning, and you have, and you're not saved. I'd love to believe everybody here is saved and knows what it means to be born again, and your name is put in the book of life. And there's a lot of people watching all of us from all over the place live stream this morning. I'm talking to you now, if you're not saved. And you have sort of a ho-hum attitude about, oh, the great tribulation, yeah, sure. Do you know that almost 90% of Christendom does not take a literal view of what I just read in Revelation 9? Most of all Protestants, all of Roman Catholicism. And then the ones who say that they are born-again Christians, the C. Peter Wagners, are off on this uh, lollyland dream that they're something more than they are. Jesus didn't talk about super apostles. Matter of fact, the greatest apostle I think that ever lived was the apostle Paul. And when he was old and mature and wise, he looked at himself as the chiefest of sinners, not as the greatest of apostles or prophets. No, just the opposite. The longer you walk with the Lord, you realize what a wretch you are and how grateful you are for grace. Good place for an amen. You know, it's when you're young and you think you got it all together. And um, it's a process of sanctification that there's no quick way of growing and maturing in the Lord. There's not a quick way to do it. It's here a little, there a little, and he's changing us because we can't be changed. And we hate that. We want to drive up to our drive-thru and we want our meal and we want it right now. And if I want to know something right now, I just take out my iPhone and start talking to it. And it talks back to me. That's the way I like things. It's not the way God does things. His, his ways are not our ways. All that to say this. If you're not saved, if you're not born again, you need to be afraid. You need to be very afraid. Because it says in Joel 2 that peoples were in such fear. It also says that perilous times are coming where men's hearts are going to fail because of the fear of those things that are coming upon the earth. That's not taught too much anymore. You know, what's taught is what you want to hear and not what the word has, has to say. And the great thing about the Bible is it leaves no stone unturned. There's no gray areas. It's about as black and white as you can get. And that's the way we're supposed to present it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Simply teach the word of God simply. Another good place for an amen. And then then you'll begin over time to connect the dots. Joel, my goodness, Joel chapter 2, Revelation 9, one and the same. More detail added in Joel 2. And it makes perfect sense. And so, this here is to put a good, healthy fear. You know, the Bible says it's the goodness of the Lord that leads a man to repentance. Then it says, but some save with fear. You know that the Bible teaches that? That's what this Bible study is all about. It is to scare, literally, the hell out of you. Because all hell is, you've heard the expression, all hell is going to break loose. All hell is going to break loose. Run the video clip of, um, of what we just studied. And it's two minutes of some guy you know, using his imagination to come up with what we just studied about this morning. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die 
death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Turn to Jude, one book before the book of Revelation. Jude, verse 6. The purpose of this writing is to warn against false teachers. That's what we did this morning by exposing Joel's army and ANER and the multiple charismatic groups that go along with that. That's, this is uh, Jude's purpose here. But then um, in verse 6, the future past judgment of false teachers. In verse 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. This could have two meanings, but I personally feel this verse here is in reference to Revelation 9, where it says they're kept in reserve to do judgment. What is the great tribulation period but judgment on this world for their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we can't turn the TV on any day these days without Barcelona, or that's what it was this week, and it'll be something more. Every day it's something. Everybody sees it getting worse and worse, and it's going to continue to go down to that till the Lord's going to finally say enough, and he's going to take his church home. And when that happens, we get, uh, let's go back to Joel, Now, Joel foretold Revelation chapter 9. Jesus taught it in Matthew 24. Just as Joel 2, look at verse 28. It says, It'll come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit, and on all flesh your sons and daughters will prophesy, Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's what Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost when they all spake in tongues. And the people were saying, these guys are drunk. And and Peter said, they're not drunk, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And then he goes on to say, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Question, did that really happen? Yes, it really happened. When did it happen? At the beginning of the church age, on the day of Pentecost. What's your point? Well, as sure as that happened, then as sure the first part of this is going to happen too. Just as sure as this prophecy was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, this prophecy here is going to be fulfilled in Revelation chapter 9. Now in verse 12, we have our therefore. Okay, what do you do with a weird, scary Bible study like this? Well, it says, now therefore. What does that mean? Well, everything that we've just read, what do we do with it? Well, the Lord says, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and with, with mourning. And rend your heart and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and he's merciful. He's slow to anger and great kindness. He relents from doing harm. 
And who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. And so in the midst of all this, the Lord says, I don't want to do this, but why didn't you learn your lesson uh, from the 10 northern tribes? And I'm thinking about the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man's request to Father Abraham in Sheol. And he says, will you please send Lazarus back and warn my brothers? He never cared about his brothers before. But now he realized the totality, the finality of this place that he's not getting out. And maybe for the first time in his life, his heart went out, I don't want my brothers to come here. I don't want anybody to come here. And he says, have Lazarus go back. Because if somebody rises from the dead, they'll see that, they'll believe. And Jesus says, no. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them read that. What does that mean? That means that God has given us this, to teach us, to guide us, and lead us on what to do and how to do it. And even even the raising of a miracle, Jesus warns against. He doesn't encourage it. He says, in the last days, false Christ and false prophets are going to come, show great signs and wonders, and they're going to deceive people. So should we be all impressed with a miracle or a vision? No. Does God still heal? Yes, you can pray for people, and he he still does that. But my point is, the Lord has chosen this and the foolishness of it being preached so that people can get saved. I implore you, if you're not saved, please give your heart to the Lord because this really is going to happen, and nothing is going to stop it. And don't have this laid-back, oh, hee-haw, attitude that it doesn't, doesn't really matter. I don't want it on my conscience that I didn't give it at least a shot to try to witness to my family and my loved ones because I simply don't want them to go to what this place is. Second Peter 3, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so we're to learn, as we said last week, one of our scriptures said that these things that happened to them in the Old Testament were written for our admonition as an example that we would learn from them. So it's going to be interesting lunch today because <laughs> it's a little bit different type of Bible study. I mean, it's a very straightforward um, over-the-top wonders that are in our world. So I don't know anything else to say except, amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, um, thank you that we go through all your word and that you, you pull no punches. And we're grateful that you tell us the truth, the whole truth and nothing but it. And uh, nothing can stop what we read this morning from happening. May it stir stir us up, Lord, to um, want to be witnesses for you. Um, Not to get in debates over trivial issues, but seeing the bigger peoples that they're people that we know and love that aren't saved. And we need to be about being salt and light to people we care about. So we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. And we ask that by your spirit you would... um, now put it in people's heart, and Lord, use it to use us as your instrument in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.